welcome back to another episode of the USL show. The playoffs are underway, and on Saturday, everything went chalk, which was weird. Um, you know, it was a, it was a very exciting uh, couple of matches, fan bases, you know, having the times of their life, some fan bases having their heart ripped out, um, some fan bases are in the middle, um, but that's... We're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's start off with, uh, hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing okay today, Lur- or today, Kaylor. How are you? <laughs> um, <joke. laughs> I survived the alleged tornado risk, um, and when I was thinking about it in my head, would I rather face a tornado or another round of penalties, I gladly got into my vehicle and started recording. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, how you doing? Um, I'm, 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 I'm all right. We we're able to to process it on on two balls underwood last night and 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 talk it out. So like I'm almost in the uh, hey man, it was a really great season mood. So uh, I, I think I'm bouncing back. And you know, there's some exciting matchups that are coming up. So I will be reinvigorated by watching other people have to go through the misery that San Diego went through last weekend. Yeah, this is where the playoffs uh, become fun for people who get knocked out because you can start watching matches without any sort of vetting interest or emotion, um, which is awesome because now my heart um, does not have to be in fear of suddenly collapsing. Um, It's one thing that did not deal with the playoffs that I think should be uh, discussed. Um, El El Paso completely fumbled the bag, and Richie Ryan is now uh, one of the head assistants at FC Tulsa. Um, I mean, some really, uh, really big, big pickup there for FC Tulsa. I think most people were shocked that it wasn't Indy, but what a get by Tulsa for the assistant spot. Yeah, and just kind of building towards that next season, it was uh, what a team we were looking at as they kind of got towards the end of the season of trying to build momentum into next year and to just basically have this sort of um, assistant coaches on their team. In addition to everything else they're doing in the front office and on the field, it's really exciting to see what Tulsa can do over the course of the offseason and how they can just kind of build into the momentum of next year. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this one, I think uh, – I think this one is just kind of more kind of an indictment of El Paso in a way. Um, like they fumbled that bag. <laughs> they, it was in their hands begging to say, please take me. And they were just like, nah. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's an indictment of El Paso's season. Not wrong. Not wrong. I can't believe seriously Loco would dismantle this entire team like this. <laughs> but you know it's fine um that one goes out to you phil i hope you're doing okay man as he is once again missing because he decides to be a good father and all whatever i like half of everybody is missing tonight's show by the way because they're deciding to be a good dad i don't know what john's doing but you know deciding to watch every single game break every single game down and working a full-time job you know what he deserves a rest every now and then that or his you know, roof is leaking again. We don't know. <laughs> but let's get into the matches. And we're going to start with League One first. And League One, the place I want to start with is the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Um, taking down uh, Union Omaha 1-0. 
for I think a lot of people, this was a shocking result because name recognition and whatnot. For me, this was shocking because Union Omaha looked the better team for pretty much most of this match. And when this match went into extra time, I think it was pretty universally accepted that that's advantage Union Omaha. All they had to do was get to pins. Um, Chattanooga looked off their game. We're not creating like they normally do. And, you know, a moment of brilliance comes out and they're going off into the next round. Yeah, I think to uh, quote a certain soccer coach, uh, soccer can be cruel sometimes where you can you can play an absolute amazing game and you run up against a keeper who makes a couple, you know, good saves or you hit the post like uh, uh, Omaha did. Um, this is what happens sometimes, right? In these single elimination games, uh, you can dominate for large portions of the game, but you know, a, a slip up here or, or a giveaway there, and all of a sudden your your season's over. Um, yeah, I think it, it's a shock in the sense that you know a, a team that has been consistently good got eliminated, but it's also like on the road, right? Like we've been kind of hounding that from time to time, and that the the home team tends to 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 come out on top in League One, and then you know a, a really nice shot in stoppage time puts them through. Um, and the other thing is, you know, this is what I joked about last time is League One has been chaotic. And what could be the most chaotic thing for the playoffs is to go is to go chalk. Right. Like that's the unexpected thing. Um, so I, I think w- with this one, you know, it just shows that if you defend and get a little lucky at times, all you need is one shot and you can, you know, you can you can take a win and and move on in the playoffs because that's what playoff soccer is in the United States is literally just one mistake. Uh, can make or break your season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I still, I think um, Chattanooga is going to be a really tough out this next round for Richmond as they played a kind of uh, an interesting match out of this one. But like you said, it's just one of those that uh, it was a really low scoring defensive game out of this one. And it's kind of just what they had to do to get to the next round, even if it is going to penalties. But it also shows how important it is to be playing at that home field advantage and just uh, how crucial that was for Chattanooga because I do think if this match was up in Omaha, it would have been a more challenging game for them. Yeah, the one thing that I've noticed kind of tactically here is that the Red Wolves were playing with an extremely wide center back where it looked like they were kind of playing with three center backs, but it was kind of more or less a the left back was sitting very deep, um, allowing the center backs to spread out a little bit more, um, in which we saw Omaha do something that we don't see with a lot of teams, and this is going to sound strange, but it's have their attack starting in the middle of the park. Most of the times you see, and especially in the USL, um, and maybe in across all leagues across the world, the attacks come out from the flanks and they work their way in. They end up being funneled in. But Omaha started taking it to them directly, taking advantage of that space. And I think Red Wolves just never really made that adjustment. Um, I wish, I wish that Omaha would have <laughs> taken advantage of it. Um, it. It's a lot of fun seeing Omaha go far into his playoffs. And for selfish reasons, I do wish that 
um, Red Wolves <laughs> would have lost, to be honest. But on the flip side of that, they get to take on Richmond now. And they have a, they've had now, I guess, two weeks, one full week to prepare a TIFO of cash apps and other Twitter likes along the way. <laughs> but the next match, um, which is League One, is Tormenta. And this one was just <laughs> League One. <laughs> I don't know how else to call it, except the biggest shock here is that Tormenta won at home. Um, I, my theory is that it's a brand new home, so they're not really used to it being home. They haven't quite figured out that's where home is. Um, Bolt is happy with us, considering the fact that we all did pick Tormenta. So thank you, Bolt, for sparing us for another week. Um, yeah, this one was, I mean, Char uh, Charlotte goes up early, and everybody's like, wait a minute, is Tormenta tormenting at home? And then... From there, Charlotte goes full Charlotte and just self-destructs. <laughs> yeah, and it just, like, all the meetings between these two teams this year, the team who had scored first had the one to, was the one who ended up winning the game, but it was uh, Charlotte getting the red card in the second half on the 49th minute that definitely changed the contest as you had Sterling get a goal at 48 and then, a penalty at 77 that really just kind of turned the tide for Tormenta to move on to the next round. I think, you know, I, I kind of was kind of giving Charlotte a hard time about not really winning on the road. Uh, but the, the start of this game, it really, you know, looked like Charlotte was, was trying to prove a point and uh, had some really nice looks. Um, Oberton, um, his free kick like that could have easily gone in to make it two nil, right? Except a really nice save from the keeper. So I, I think it was a little bit of a shock to the system. Uh, and luckily for Tormenta, they were able to, to recover and get back into the game. And then, yeah, obviously the red card changes things, but it wasn't like uh, Charlotte was completely out of it. They were still battling back um, and had a couple of nice little moments uh, in the match where they might've been able to force extra time. Uh, down a man, which is, is pretty impressive. So, um, you know, good on Charlotte for, for continuing to, to push and make this a game down a man. Uh, obviously, you're in the playoffs, so that has a large bearing on on how hard you press, right? If this is a regular season game, maybe take your foot off the gas and say, all right, we'll, we'll pick you up next week or next time. Uh, but again, this is, you know, Tormenta taking care of business, um, which is good for them coming from behind, uh, which also gives a boost to, gotta give a boost to confidence knowing that you're, you might be behind at some time later in the season with the, the teams that are remaining um, to know that you have the ability to, to come back, even if it is against maybe the not not the most um, competitive comp uh, opponent based on road form. Uh, but, you know, like, again, like I said, with the Red Wolves Union Omaha, playoff soccer is a, a different a different beast uh, and you, you can get lucky uh, and might find yourself in a position to, to move on when you aren't playing your best and Charlotte almost had that opportunity in this game, even down a man. So um, again, Tormenta is going chalk and we got some pretty fun matchups going in next week. No doubt. And we'll be talking a lot about those matchups coming up a little bit later, but we want to go ahead and move on to the championship. Um, the place I want to start off with first is I want to start off with uh, Detroit city um, and Memphis 
with I this was one of those matches that I had personally picked Detroit City. I said defense travels. Um, this was a match that I felt like Detroit City could get a, scrape out a one nil win, be scrappy, go along their way. Um, but as John broke down with his, uh, you know, USL uh, tactics show that came out today, this Memphis uh, midfield is ridiculous. But that doesn't mean that Detroit didn't create because, it, despite it being a three one ball game. Um, it didn't really feel like that. It never really felt like Detroit City was out of it. It that last goal coming of trying to chase the game, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean Memphis getting on the board at the seventy second minute. Really, uh, Detroit held out for about as long as they can, but it, it really was a good drums goal at ninety plus four that really made the scoreline look a lot worse for Detroit than it was because I believe this is only the second time this year that they've conceded I think three goals in a match it was Tulsa that started the season so credit to Detroit where credit's due because they kept it together for about three quarters of the game but it was just Memphis eventually outlasted them at home and moves on with the win yeah this is probably a a more a 2-1 is probably a more fair scoreline for for this matchup that that last goal is clearly everyone's up and going for it and you're taking some chances and there's space that doesn't normally exist. Your keeper is way out of position, um, tr- trying to keep the ball in your attacking half. And so, you, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to be way more friendly to losing sides based on my personal experience over the past weekend. Uh, but, you know, you have to give it to Detroit for really putting in a really good season and, and really kind of giving 901 a really, really good game on the road. Um and, and against a really good 901 team, right? Like they were 12 minutes away plus stoppage time from forcing extra time. And, and that's really something to, to, to kind of hang your hat on and, and feel good about. Uh, obviously, you don't go home happy. A really nice second goal off of a set piece. It's probably g- going to be frustrating, right? Like it's not really open play. You should be able to kind of set your defense for that. And it was just a really, really nice header um, that, that gets around the keeper. And that's the biggest difference, you know, in this game is just really a, a tale of inches. Uh, so good on 901 for taking care of business. I think, uh, again, this is, um, you know, it sets up some really fun matchups in the East moving forward. Um, and, and Detroit City's got to be really proud about the season they put together um, in their first year in. And I, I think they're just going to retool and come out stronger, right? They've learned some lessons. Um, they, they've built, they've had a really good culture there as far as winning and so now there's gonna they're gonna be stronger and they're gonna be a team to look out for next season yeah for me this the this is going to be stupid analysis um so this is going to be like the most duh uh comment but for me the the moment that or memphis detroit city lost this match was when the first goal went in um and it's not really about the leveling it you know leveling the match because there is a world where they take it to extra extra time, hoping to, or somebody else gets on the end of one, uh, wins it in extras, or it goes all the way to penalties. That could happen. But this match was always going to be, in my mind, being defensively stout, holding on for dear life for 80-something minutes, which they almost did. 
and then springing a counterattack whenever Memphis was trying to get that decisive goal at home because Memphis was never going to try to win that match in extra time. They were always going to try to win it in regulation for their home fans. Um, this I thought that was the route to victory, and it almost happened. When they got the leveler, I was excited. I thought maybe it could go all the way to extra time, but at that point, it felt like Memphis had already tasted or smelled the blood in the water, um, and they knew they could get a goal, and it felt like uh, Detroit was going to be a little bit, not leaky, but they had already had their bend and finally broke moment. And you're right, uh, Kaylor. It was back on April 23rd, a, a two to one win over Hartford, the last time that Detroit had conceded the opening goal and ended up winning that match this year. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that, I mean, they were screwed out of points before. Um, uh, people are going to look back at the uh, New York or New York, wow, uh, New Mexico match where they were absolutely offsides. The uh, New Mexico gets the leveler. But that's kind of how Detroit City got a lot of their wins were, you know, sitting back, you know, absorbing pressure, absorbing pressure. When the team tries to push up and finally get that goal, they spring the counterattack and they get the win. Um, that's just kind of their brand. And that was going to be their route to victory and playing away from home, conceding that first goal. That was that was my man. Detroit City kind of blew this one. Um, also, FC Tulsa admin, you're a little bit weird for saying that they choked, considering the fact that they were the seventh seed and they never actually led the match. You can't call that a choke. That was weird. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Neither here nor there, I suppose. Um, moving on from that, I want to jump over to what I think most people would call the more boring match and this I, I say that very politely but i think it's kind of the match that was shocking but also in a, when you're watching it it finally made sense and that is the colorado springs rgv game um that one everybody picked rgv including me here i am eating my bug i thought rgv was going to win but then colorado springs got up for this match and decided hey Remember that thing that we did all season long and like score goals? How about we try doing that again? And they did, and they completely manhandled Los Toros. It was one of those matches where it's like form form only matters when it matters, and then it doesn't when it doesn't kind of kind of deals, <laughs> right? Like good form ends when you lose, and bad form ends when you win. And you know, I think everyone was kind of choosing this game based on how RGV finished the season versus Colorado Springs had finished the season. Um, this one, maybe not also. I mean, I don't know if, if three nil is necessarily friendly to RGV or not like Colorado Springs just kind of really dominated this match. Like Toros had what, like maybe one look that was what was, you know, put Colorado Springs under pressure. It, it just looked like Colorado Springs, of early season right like this is the colorado springs that people assumed would finish you know with a home game in the west and they they've been kind of scuffling they got rid of like their biggest goal score and everyone was like oh they're done that's it they wrote them off and so they just kind of refigured themselves out or it's just they played against rgv really well we'll have to see if they can keep it going for colorado springs uh it did take quite a while to get to that goal, right? 84th minute. 
but there was a couple of really nice looks that probably could have been goals earlier. So good on Colorado Springs for rec- recovering that for him. Um, they're going to be, if they continue to play this way, I think they're going to be a tough out because uh, they can score in buckets um, while also, you know, defend- defending fairly well. Um, so good on them. And sorry, I picked against you. I picked the wrong upset because I don't think I was legally allowed to pick the other one. Yeah, I mean, this was the Colorado Springs team who is now the eighth time this year they've scored at least three goals in a match at home. It's a team who won 10 games at home, which in retrospect, we probably should have given them a lot more credit than we did last week. I mean, everyone minus Geo had gone into this game picking RGV as the upset alert team. And now we just had a Switchbox team who basically remembered what team they were and remembered how good of a side they were at the start of the year and basically kind of proved that they do belong in the playoffs and now represent a very difficult game for a Sacramento Republic team. Yeah. It was like um, the, the scene in, in hook where the kid like pushes Robin Williams face back and was like, there you are, Peter. I think that that's what they did in the locker room right before this match is they had a invisible food fight and he, in Colorado Springs rediscovered that they were actually Peter Pan all along. Um, and then they decided they can now fly. It works, Kaylor. It works. Just trust me. If you haven't seen um, Hook in a long time, go back and watch it. It's a great film. I hate the worst part about this is that I was following. I think that's what made me the most mad about it is that I understood. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely one of those matches that, you know, everybody was picking form, including me. Um, with how dysfunctional Colorado Springs had looked at times in the season, it was hard to see them pull it around, especially with how good RGV had looked in the season. I think an average, if RGV had come in looking pretty average or, you know, just normal, um, I think people would have picked Colorado Springs, but RGV was as hot as hot can get. Um, as it turns out, taking them out of the valley and putting them in a mountain, maybe maybe that did something. I don't know. I don't I don't do sports medicine. That's for somebody who's a lot smarter than me to figure out. But I mean, it was September seventeenth. RGV at home beating Colorado Springs one nil, right? Like RGV also drew nine oh one on the road recently. So I, I think there was a lot of things to point to to feel like RGV had a really good chance uh, to to knock off because it seems like there's always an upset in the West. And so you, you just kind of picked – I think there were two pretty clear opportunities for upsets. And so I think this was another one of those that people felt that um, RGV had a really good shot. And, you know, again, form is temporary. You know, you're playing well until you're not. And then – or you're playing – poorly until you start playing well and i think it was just one of those days where colorado springs turned it up and rgv just didn't quite have it also just want to throw this out there for people who are in the twitter chat um i just now pulled it up because i was getting a few notifications we can't see your twitter chats on Streamyard. um it's one of the few downsides of using Streamyard. so if you're using the chatting function because i'm seeing a few of you were um just that's a forewarning that we can't see that. Um, but I want to move on to a place where other people thought some upsets were going to happen. 
and that was New Mexico and uh, Sacramento, which frankly, I I love you, John. I never bought into the New Mexico hype. They put it together for like two matches, and then it just never felt like it was on purpose. <laughs> if I, like those tactical changes felt like something that they kind of lucked into and were like, that was cool. And then they decided, yeah, we're never doing that again. Um, and <laughs> that's kind of what, I mean, granted, Sacramento is also a great team, and I think they're a better team than uh, New Mexico, but it kind of showed. And Sacramento just, they looked great, especially in that second half, immediately coming out, trying to ambush to start the half, and they did, and they never looked back. I mean, just one shot on target for New Mexico in this game. And it just it seemed like throughout the entire match that this was a Sacramento team that by any means necessary, they were going to get to that second round of the playoffs. And they did. It was just kind of shown from the entire season. And we had talked about it on the show throughout the year that it, we always thought that New Mexico was just more this paper tiger type team, that they were going to have this like in this very great start but it wasn't going to last and it kind of showed once you got into the playoffs that they ran into a much better side and it took them out of the uh the postseason i mean sacramento is just one heck of a, ro- a home team like i think this is what makes the open cup run happen for them right i think if they play you know skc in kansas city i think that's where the road stops for them but you you just see how much better and confident they play at home. Um, I mean, they absolutely dismantled San Diego in the last game of the season. Uh, they're riding high. They don't have to worry about balancing balancing play between the Open Cup and their um, their regular season. Uh, but this is you know this is a really good Sacramento side. It's a reason why John is picking them uh, to win the West, uh, and it was why I think I was lamenting if San Diego can get by. Oakland, they're going to have to play Sacramento because that's a, that's one of the other bugaboos, right? This is like Sacramento's got to be, I don't want to say a dark horse pick at the beginning because I think some people actually believe that they are the pick. Um, but I, I really think that Sacramento just plays really well at home and understands knockout soccer. And we saw that in the Open Cup. And I, I think... You know, Sacramento has a lot to prove with what that city's been through as far as um, their soccer community over the past year or so. Um, watching MLS kind of dissipate, watching their NWSL team come south and and be really successful. And so they have a lot to prove. There's a huge chip on their shoulder. Everyone feels that Sa- uh, San Antonio's the, the favorite, um, which they've earned it. But I, I think Sacramento um, at home is is really, really good. And I think Sacramento on the road is also great. Jasper agrees. So does Brew. That was Brew. Brew also agrees. Uh, and so this was just another showcasing of, of how good Sacramento is as just a, a really solid team. And it's a Sacramento team who should certainly be rooting for the Oakland Roots uh, coming out of the other conference semifinal. Just, I mean, if you're looking back through all of the uh, just kind of results that Sacramento has had throughout this season, you have to go back to August 3rd to find the last road victory they had. And that was a two to one result over New Mexico. Yeah, this was a New Mexico team. I, I just, 
I didn't understand what their plan was all season. And I understand that he wasn't exactly in form. But when you're in the playoffs and you're away from home, I know a lot of the mindset is defend like crazy when you're away from home, get to extra time and see what you can do. Um, that's kind of the mentality. But, you know, unless you're going to try to penalty your way to the U.S. You know, USL finals, um, that's just not going to work. You need someone who's a goal scorer. And to me, leaving a, someone like Nico Brett, who's one of the most prolific goal scorers this league has seen, leaving him on the bench felt weird. Um, and I understand that there's been a lot of tactical changes, but also this team has been in, in a tactical limbo since pretty much game one. And they never seemed to really figure it out who was their best 11, when was their best 11, how did the best 11, if that makes sense. They just, they never really seemed to solidify it. When they found a tactic that worked, they kept trying to plug and place new players into it. When they finally got players they liked, they found a new system and it just didn't work. It felt like they were in constant limbo. And this match kind of felt like that. Like you mentioned, just the one shot on target. And they just looked confused on the attack. Granted, Sacramento is a great defensive team. There's no doubt about that. But when you don't have any consistency, especially in your attacking line, tactically or personnel-wise, and maybe don't even have the best people starting, that's what leads to results like this, where... Yeah, they put up the XG. The XG number looks respectable, but if you actually watch the game, it really wasn't. Yeah, I mean, a majority of these shots were all off target, and it took them until the 42nd minute of the match to just have their first shot on target in five minutes. Or when you go two minutes into the second half, Sacramento had already scored and gone 1 0 up. Yeah. Um, moving on from this one. We're going to go to the final Saturday match, and that one was Tampa Bay Rowdies versus the Miami FC, where Tampa Bay gets a good goal early from Guinzati. Uh, Joaquin Rivas uh, puts uh, levels it up. And then one of the most outlandish goals of Nikki Law I have ever seen in the USL. I don't, I don't know if this was camera angle what, but I've never seen a ball do that. I have never seen a ball like spin upward in that way. That was ridiculous. I mean, you never saw the uh, Tiago goal from for Liverpool where it like skimmed over the, the grass and went back up again. That one. But the thing is that this goal, this goal did not skim off the grass. I yeah, it just, yeah, it just it was like slightly always rising. And yeah, it's 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 gross if you haven't seen it. I mean, most people have probably seen it by now, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing to get that kind of movement on the ball on that half volley. It was unreal and it was kind of that moment for me that you saw just the Miami just sit there and just what do you do? <laughs> you get the leveler, you're holding on, you're looking decent. And one of the most incredible goals you're going to see of this year 
um, just goes past you on the half volley like that. Yeah, whatever. What what are you supposed to do? I mean, if you're going back through just the entire season, you're looking at a Tampa Bay team that it was San Diego the last time that got or that had Tampa Bay score multiple goals and they didn't win the match. It's so crucial to keep Tampa Bay to one goal or less in these games to really keep them out of it and to basically go down 3-1, Gonzati going and on and getting a brace. I mean, this was a Tampa Bay team who had four shots on target and three of them were into the back of the net. It's a very efficient performance from the Rowdies and probably out of all the teams you played in this first round, it was probably the best performance of each of them. Yeah, this was definitely one that, I mean, Rivas uh, gets his goal, but it kind of felt like it was out of nowhere. Um, the Miami just didn't really create a lot. This back line for Tampa Bay is great. Um, we know that. Um, with Miami, they were they were a team that I said they're good on offense, they're good on defense, they're good in goalkeeper, but they're not great at anything. And when you're going against a side that has a great attack, a great midfield, and a great defense, you see what the difference between good and great is. And that was that Saturday match. Yeah, the Miami had a moment of brilliance and got their goal, but greatness persevered. Um, But kind of speaking on the last team that held uh, Tampa Bay, um. I want to just rip the Band-Aid uh, for you, uh, Alan. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Alan has left the chat. Um, Oakland Roots. Okay. San Diego uh, lose 3-0. Uh, to nil. Oakland Roots played a hand in that. Um, San Diego. San diego um Alan, just just walk us through this because I don't know where to start on this one. I mean, for the first half, it looked like San Diego was going to get something out of this match, uh, which is not the case against Oakland. Like San Diego can apparently not beat Oakland like ever. I think they've won once and it was the very first time they played. Uh, And even the games like uh, even the draws and stuff have been super wild. Like I think two of the five goals of the year nominations last year were Oakland Roots scoring on San Diego. Like they just, I don't know what it is about playing San Diego, but they just get up for it. And, um, you know, they had one shot on target the first half and it was the goal. Um, And so you you think, all right, well, you're still in it. You've dominated. You played the game you want to play. You've gotten some really nice looks. Um, And then... Oakland gets gets another one on a on a kind of a bonehead back pass, like just not passed well. And Oakland pounces on it like they've done against San Diego time and time again. And they've done against a bunch of teams, right? Like they've been able to take advantage of mistakes like no other team, it seems like. Uh, and then the wheels fall off, right? Um, you know, at the time it was it seemed pretty pretty much like a flop from where we were able to we were able to see. Um, from our vantage point, it didn't feel like there was anything in it. And so, you know, to get that red card, it, it hurt. Um, the weird thing, though, is, is the Guido red card. Uh, it shows up as like a bad foul. And for the life of me, I can't figure out where that was. Um, and either they marked it wrong in the book. It was a second yellow marked it wrong in the book. 
you're down to 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 nine men and it's still like San Diego's still on the front foot. Um it's stoppage time before Oakland can capitalize when they're you know down up three men, eleven V eight. Um, you know, some inexcusable behavior from fans, I would say, um, as far as, as the reaction um to to the um to the like the referee and to the Oakland fan uh, Oakland players um you know say what you will shout the things that you want to shout at them that are within reason and and not racist or homophobic or anything like that but you can't throw stuff on the field uh you can't let yourself go it was a really i think it just kind of cap encapsulated how San Diego's weekend went um lots of losing lots of being eliminated and i think a lot of the fans were fans of multiple teams and showed up um a little bit apprehensive at the beginning and then we're we're clearly kind of hurting and, and just looking to, to lash out um but that behavior is inappropriate i thought some embarrassing um behavior from some of the players as well but then you had guys who were, were going eight guys for v11 and really playing hard uh, and then on the flip side like oakland just showed up to play like oakland played exactly the way they wanted to play and you got to tip your hat to those guys they came on the road you know that you can say that no one believed in us but i think Outside of San Diego, I think most people were like, Oakland has a really good shot to win here. And if I wasn't a uh, a San Diego uh, living person and didn't and, and wanted to like make it into the stadium alive, um, I probably would have picked Oakland to win this one. I, I just think that Oakland is set up to play San Diego really well and take advantage of uh, some of the holes that San Diego allows themselves to have. Uh, but, you know, still like, one shot on target in a in a half. I think that's really good for what San Diego's been able to do. Um, but Oakland showed up. They played. They played aggressive. They played physical. Uh, they weren't intimidated, and you know it showed in their play. and And hats off to them. I do want to give a shout out um, to Tarek Morad as well. Um, there were there was like a head on head injury with uh, Thomas Among. I believe he was the other guy in there, and he he was able to stand up and check in on him and. You know, we, we really appreciated Tarek Morad and Emmer Clemente when they were here in San Diego. And so it, it hurts to see to see the team lose the way they did to finish. But I also, you know, you got to tip your hat to them and they just showed up to play a better game. And, you know, you, you're rooting for those guys to be successful because they were such an integral part of, of San Diego past, but also very vocal when it came to standing up for things that were right. And so you, you just want really good guys to be successful in the league. And those were two of the guys that I think really exemplify that. And so good luck to them. And, um, you know, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes in, in playoff soccer. It, you, you, you can be unlucky and another team take advantage of some stupid mistakes. I don't think the back pass was necessarily due to field conditions. Um, it seemed like he might have just been in between and, and Grant Stoneman was not was too far forward and maybe he thought he was further back and then uh, just not close enough or hard enough to get to Coke Vegas and you know Oakland capitalized and again Oakland played a really good game um, as they do against San Diego all the time so I'm not here to say that San Diego lost and Oakland didn't win Oakland came in and and kicked the crap out of San Diego when they had to um, like I said San Diego started out well but Oakland was able to to withstand and, and counter punch and, and walk out of there three 0 like that's impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, the Roots have only been shut out on the road twice all season, and one of them was the first match of the year against RGV, the other coming a match against Sacramento. But we've seen that if it's a team that comes in with a plan and with basically a tactical setup that really helps them do well in this game, they will tend to really succeed once you get into the playoffs. I mean, you saw that with the other two winners of the first round games here in the Western Conference. It's almost just, I think, especially with Oakland, a team who's basically going to have to play the rest of the tournament on the road. They just have to take it one match at a time and just focus on the next opponent in front of you because that's all they can do. I mean, you're looking at a Roots team who hasn't been at home since October 1st when they played Birmingham. It's going to be basically ending the year with a long road trip and just having that resiliency to go on the road into these tough environments to play and get results is going to be crucial for this team. Um, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, Oakland Roots has not allowed a goal in the postseason, either postseasons? No, because they lost on pens. They lost on pens nil-nil to Orange County, right? This is an yes. Oakland Roots In the team. conference semifinals last yeah. year. Yeah, who who barely made the finals last year, go on a decent run, and are literally like a kick away from making the, the conference finals. Like this is a yeah, this is this is an Oakland Roots team that for some reason can really turn it on in the postseason and they can be dangerous, right? They don't need to win. They can get a nil-nil result and be just fine and make it to PKs. Like I said, they were I think Ronaldo Damas had a re-kick because the goalie came off the line. Mm -hmm. And that was the difference in the PKs last year to get to the conference finals. So if someone can go and make and be true or road warriors in the postseason, like Oakland roots has showed that this is part of their pedigree. And I would say that, you know, their next game in San Antonio is going to be a fun one to watch because I mean, it was San Antonio. Isn't one that's going to score tons of goals. So Oakland can go in there and maybe snatch something from them because uh, they don't need any goals to score. They don't need to score goals. They just need to get to PKs. And well, both the- of those games last year had Oakland going on the road as well. So it's been now four consecutive and it'll soon be, or yeah, it'll be four consecutive uh, road playoff games for the roots. Now. I can't wait to see Oakland get a home playoff game. Cause that is going to be incredible, but maybe that's a part of the juju is that they, don't play at home and road warriors does something. I mean, the difference between this year and last year too, is that they didn't have Carlson. (laughs) That dude is something else. He is, he's legit. And that back line, if they can continue to do their dang thing, where maybe let's, let's go on a crazy limb and say, San Antonio, the best team in the league scores a goal. Ooh, Um, really crazy thought there. I'd, back Carlson to get one too. Um, I feel like this is going to be a really good match coming up next week. Um, I will admit I'd missed a lot of the San Antonio or San Antonio, San Diego match um, because um, the one that I was at was still going on. Um, And boy was uh, it something. Um, The first time we've seen penalties, these this playoffs and it came in, Probably one of the most iconic matches in recent USL history. Um, Birmingham Legion go up early to Pittsburgh early, um, relatively speaking, in the seven, you know, late into the uh, middle of the second half. Uh, Prosper Kasim gets his goal. Then 
we see one of the greatest playoff performances, and it's uh, Kizza comes off the bench in the 90th minute or in the 88th minute, gets his goal, sends it to extra time. Bruno Lapa equalizes. Kizza gets his second goal, which doubles his goal-scoring tally from the regular season, sends it to penalties, and in the decisive penalty, plays hero and sends the Riverhounds through. Um, if my heart was not at stake for this match, I feel like I would have really enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. It, the, the thing that was interesting, too, is I think the penalty kicks were like a microcosm of the game as a whole. Like with but the the flip side and how it yeah. developed, like Birmingham missing the first two. I was like, oh, no, like, oh, poor Kaler. Like and then it's like and then Pittsburgh didn't get their last couple. And I'm like, you had momentum going to the extra kicks. I was like, oh, Birmingham's going to pull this out and it's going to be amazing. And then, of course, it's Kizza on the PKs. I was like, oh. Like yeah. you had you you had it, and then you didn't, and that's got to be like, I think that is got to be the most heart wrenching thing. Like with with San Diego, like it was like a slow burn of like, oh, this is happening. Yep, this is happening. Okay, this is, and that that one's just got to be like, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, oh. yeah, like just like Indiana Jones, where he like reaches in and it's still beating. Like I I, I felt for you on that one, but yeah, as, as as a neutral, that's kind of what playoff soccer, that's what you want, right? You want these heroics. You want these last-minute goals. I think with Wave, uh, with Wave, it was even that too, right? Wave give up a last-minute goal to, and you're like heart-wrenched, but it's, you know, it's who it was, and it's this momentous goal of, of her coming back from injuries, and or not injuries, but for, I think, birth of a child, mm-hmm. and and the goal was just amazing. And you're just like, I'm mad and happy at the same time. This can't be happening. And so, like, for me, for watching Birmingham, it was like that, too. It was like, you're you're sad and happy at the same time. You got to see this really epic playoff match when a lot of the other games weren't nearly as epic and engaging. So that's one thing. But also to have that heartbreak is what playoff soccer is all about, right? That's only one team go home ha- happy at the end of the season. And so you're probably going to be heartbroken. And this is just going to add to the lore of both teams and this meeting itself. I mean, this was supposed to be a match we were going to get last year or until they had the uh, walkover for a uh, Birmingham Legion. And just to add to finally having these two teams meet in the playoffs and to have it go into extra time and then all the way to penalty and the performance that Kiza had had, it's a really just kind of great story for USL and at least something to look into for Pittsburgh going into this next round. And like even good props to, uh, they didn't do it for the entire shootout, but to the uh, camera guy who is on the field behind the penalty. And I, I love seeing that camera angle just to kind of just see what the player sees when they're approaching to take that shot. And I wish they did that for the full shootout. It was just really innovative and really cool from the league to, at least set that up for when they did. I think I even saw when there was one of the uh, balls that were thrown onto the pitch, they actually showed the camera guy who was on the field kicking it out of the way, which was just so funny to me. Yeah, so that was down in front um, uh, Birmingham, and they or down in front productions, and they do incredible stuff. If you haven't seen their pass to the playoff stuff that they've done for Legion, that entire 
that entire uh, docu-series, like short clips on Twitter, just incredible. And they were the ones that did that. I'm really glad they were allowed to do that. Uh, whenever goals were scored uh, for Legion, they were follow. They were allowed onto the pitch and doing a video as well, which was awesome. Philip did nail uh, the commentary uh, in my mentions of this being a mustard versus ketchup match. Um, pretty spot on. Um there is one moment that I feel like we'd be a little remiss to not talk about, and that was the second goal for Pittsburgh, um, which was a very interesting uh, turn of events. And I'm going to say this up front. I'm not very upset about the call, lack call of, or the lack of the call, um, because it was complete managerial mistake or just mismanagement. Uh, that led to it of completely parking the bus and, you know, allowing that last goal to go in of just completely trying to shut it down when that has not worked in the past. That said, there was the moment of it appeared that Bruno Lapa, who had uh, scored the game, the supposed game winner earlier, um, was dispossessed, was calling for the foul. It, it looked clean to me. I wouldn't, I would have not been shocked if it was called. I wouldn't. Miss, I wasn't shocked that it wasn't. Um, Zach Caravo uh, turns around to try to win the ball back, gets ran into by the ref, uh, goes down instantly with a concussion. The ref looks down and realizes that he is also bleeding now in this moment. Um, and in the pictures afterwards, looks like he has no idea where he was, which was a little bit funny. Um, it was it was just the pictures of him afterwards were just incredible. Um, and they immediately go down and score a goal. Um, okay, there was a little bit of confusion on this one um, because there was a lot of mistakes. Some people are pointing to the Bruno Lapa being fouled um, and that was not called. I'm not too upset with that lack of call. Um, some people were calling that Zach Haravo was ran into by the ref. He was the next closest defender to the ball. Play should have been stopped because the ref interfered with the play. Um, I'm okay with that one not being called as well because it is the players. It is up to the player to get out of the way of the ref. The ref is a part of the playing field. Um, from there, the Zach goes down with an apparent head injury. Um, going back to earlier in the match, um, one of the Pittsburgh players in the 90th minute-ish after they got their equalizer, one of their players goes down with a head injury as well. Um, the refs looked at it and said, play on. So this precedent had already been set in the match that the ref was not going to call head injuries. Um, the, play, the Pittsburgh player ends up getting up and playing it off like it's fine. So I guess you could say good call, but Zach is... You know, this is a little different because he is clearly concussed. The part that gets me and the other referee people that I've talked to said that they're confused is when the center ref clearly has a laceration over his eye and is clearly injured, the center ref should have stopped the play right then and there. That's That was the people I've talked to, the refs, because I don't know the rules that well. I've talked to three refs, and that's what they said. They said when the center ref realized that he had a laceration over the eye and had an injury, that's where the play should have stopped. It didn't, and it went on. Um, 
that's just kind of what happened. I'm not really going to give my opinions on it. You can watch the video yourself, decide, read the rule books. Um, it should never have come to extra time. It was a complete mismanagement. Um, and in the penalties, that mismanagement uh, was clear um, as three of the top goal or three of the top four penalty takers for the Legion this year were on the bench because they were subbed out in regular uh, regulation time. That's why we had center backs leading off the, the penalties to begin with. So take that what you will. Um, that's, I believe that's where this match was lost, not in a referee decision. How would you personally take, uh, I know it's always kind of a weird decision whenever a manager makes it of subbing off Van Ockel before penalties to have the backup keeper, uh, Spanchenberg, uh, take the penalty shootout. I was okay with it. Um, it was a hard position for Trevor Spangenberg to be in. Um, but Matt Van Ockel has been reiterated a lot of times. He has a long, wonderful career. He only has one penalty save in his entire career. <laughs> um, and that came in NASL years ago. Um, Trevor has been known to be more of a penalty specialist. Um, and Trevor got two, <laughs> got two penalty saves, so it clearly worked out. But when I saw Trevor getting up, I knew what was happening, and I was okay with it. Matt had had a pretty good game, but you could also kind of see what body language he was getting frustrated and a little bit up in his own head as well, which is not great going into penalties. I thought that was a good decision by Coach Stone. Um, but all that said, that was one of the most incredible matches I've ever seen. Uh, Birmingham had over 10,000 people there. The moment of getting all the fans behind the goal was awesome. Um the ball is being thrown onto the field. I do want to give a little context to that as well. Um, right before the decisive uh, penalty, or what was supposed to be the decisive penalty, the beginning of the sudden death, um, one, somebody for the front office or some helper or whatever grabs these little Publix balls that are just made of stuffing and just starts throwing them into the crowd to like, I don't know. Um, but he threw them into the group of people that were from the club seats. Um, so those were not even supporters that they were throwing them to. These were people who were recently added because of the penalties. Um, I, I got videos of it. The videos have been sent to the proper channels. Um, the oldest person I saw there was like 18. Um, so it was just a bunch of kids who got the ball and said, it'd be funny if I throw this back. And they did. And then, uh, you know, Keza gets the goal, celebrates in front of those same fans where the rest of them decide, I'm going to throw this ball too. That looked kind of fun, um, and they did. Um, one of the Pittsburgh players at one point um, in the celebration walked over to the supporters and uh, decided to give the uh, players, pulled the pants down and gave the uh, supporters a, a full moon, which was an interesting celebration. I wish I'd gotten a video of it, but I'm also glad I didn't. Um, but that was, that was interesting. Um, but look, I talked way too long. Most people don't care what I have to say anyway. Um, so let's go ahead and do a quick rapid fire, uh, predictions. And I do want to start off with this Louisville city versus Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, I'm going to be uh, backing Louisville in this one. Just if you look at the history of this round on from the playoffs, especially from last year in the conference semifinals and conference finals, all of those games were won by the home team, which shows just how important it is for having the home field advantage in the playoffs. I think Louisville will just having the rest and being able to prepare for this match, they match up well against Pittsburgh, a Pittsburgh team who had to play 120 minutes plus penalties this past weekend. So I have Louisville winning. I, I would say ditto or retweet depending on how old you are. Mm. Likewise. Um, I also took uh, Louisville city here. Um, same reasons as stated above uh, Tampa Bay next travels up to Memphis to take on the area code FC. I honestly think this might be the match of the round or just like the most exciting match to watch. I mean, if you look back through the meetings that these two teams have had during the regular season, you had Tampa Bay beating Memphis uh, 2-0 in July and a Memphis team beating Tampa Bay 3-1 in April. It's a very competitive game, and I think this is going to be a really exciting one to watch. I just have to give the slight edge to Tampa Bay here. I mean, you're entering the playoffs uh, with four wins at the end of the season and a fifth coming against Miami. It's just really red-hot form, although Allen's going to say form matters until it doesn't. But I still think the Rowdies uh, just barely get past Memphis on this one. Yeah, I I, I have to agree. I think with Tampa Bay, they've been one of the most consistent playoff teams. Um, and they are playing really well. Um they have guys who can put the ball in the back of the net when they need to. Um, and so I, I think Tampa Bay has a really good shot of getting it over the line. Uh, not that Memphis um, is going to be bad. I think you are right. I think this is going to be the one to watch. Or it could just be a terribly boring like one one game that like gets decided in extra time or something. Um, but I'm going with Tampa Bay. I'm also taking Tampa Bay here. Um, for me, I think Detroit City showed the way to victory a little bit against Memphis. Not necessarily just the sitting back and absorb, but doing a little bit of the counterattack kind of idea. Um, and the difference between Tampa Bay and Detroit City is that they're attackers. Um, no disrespect to Opino because he has ripped my heart and everybody's heart out at least 17 times. Um, but Tampa Bay just has more quality across the board um, when it comes to the the core than Detroit City did. And if they can take that game plan that Detroit City had and expand on it to include more of that attacking presence, I think that this is one that Tampa Bay can squeak out. Um, this one does have all the writing on the wall to be a classic and I'm super excited about it. Um, next up we have Colorado Springs versus a uh, Sacramento Republic, which also um, is telling me to shove it because this one also could be the, the match of the round. I mean, you had uh, both teams getting a three, no result over the other one when they hosted the game this year. And it's a Sacramento Republic team. I think you have to go all the way back to 2019 to find the last time they won a playoff match on the road that was beating Reno in the first round. So 
it's a very interesting contest for Republic to go into a switchback team who, granted, it was up against an RGV team that we were probably overrating coming into the playoffs. Uh, a switchback team who might have found their form again and a team that did beat Sacramento 3 0 at home this year. I'm going to back Republic on this one, but it would not surprise me if this one went into extra time. Yeah, I'm backing Sac Republic on this one. Um, it, not because I think they're going to dominate Colorado Springs. I think this is a, a good matchup. Uh, it should be pretty fun. It just can Sacramento uh, lock down Colorado Springs, and I think they have a really good shot. And I, I think on the opposite end is, can, but can Sacramento score enough goals to get over the line if Colorado Springs scores a couple? Um, so I think... Low scoring, Sacramento has the edge. I think it was a little bit more open. I'd give the edge to Colorado Springs, but I think Sacramento does enough to get it done. I said this one before, but there's one thing in the playoffs that is consistent, and it's that defense will always travel. And I trust Sacramento's defense a lot. Um, they have, obviously, the goal scores to get their goals, and that for points of the year – uh, Roro Lopez, also known as Roro Rodriguez, um, according to certain people, um, was has been heralded as the savior of Sacramento, but that back line is just as legit. And I think this is going to be a match where we'll see if Colorado Springs is just as is just as strong as they appear to be because RGV looked bad, and was that because of Colorado Springs being good? We'll find out this round because maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, so I am taking uh, Sacramento on this one. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. Sacramento has not played well on the road this season, um, but I think this is gonna be if you if you're a neutral looking for a Western Conference game to be uh, to kind of show two different styles. I think this is this is a great one. Um, and then the final championship match um, to look forward to is going to be the best team in the USL, uh, San Antonio, uh, getting their home playoff game against the Oakland Roots, who really, except for us, uh, not really except for us, but their win was really not talked about a whole lot. Even we didn't. I guess really talk about their win because San Diego was such self-destruct and people were so hyper obsessed with a certain person going and broadcasting a, a game just days prior. Um, we have Oakland who, like we said, this one could be possible upset alert for San Antonio. I don't know. I mean, uh, last year when San Antonio had their two home playoff games, they won them both, one against San Diego, the other up against RGV. And Oakland, if they can go in and play with kind of the same vigor that they had against um, against San Diego and have that set game plan, I think it could be a very good match for Oakland to really catch San Antonio off guard. It's always a question of, uh, is San Antonio going to come into this game with any rust or any uh, issues having the rust so long? But uh, Oakland didn't beat San Antonio in either meeting that they had against them this year. So I have to back San Antonio to make it to the Western Conference final. Yeah, they were they were my lock this week. They lo they've lost one game at home this season. Um, 17 games, 11 goals allowed. 
this is going to be a tough place for Oakland to go into and play. Um, but I mean, I think if the one thing that Oakland's proved is that regular season stats don't matter and they're going to show up and play really hard. Um, and you know, they did that to, um, was it, was it Phoenix that they beat to get to orange County last year? Like both the number one and number two seeds were eliminated in the first round last year. Um, and this year, the number one and number two seeds could be eliminated by the same team uh, this year. So, like, I, I think that there's um, there, there's a lot for Oakland to kind of hang their hat on on this one as far as kind of history and, you know, Western Conference number one curse. Uh, but I'm, I'm locking San Antonio. I think San Antonio is going to win. Um, they have the, the the team to do it right now, and they, they play really well at home. Um, so I, I, I this, they have my lock, and it's either they're going to win, and I'm going to win my lock, or uh, I'm going to lock jinx them, and San, San Antonio is going to send me hate mail all offseason. I mean, they're going to do that anyway, win or lose. So, I mean, take that with any kind of solace. Um, but um, there is – there's a part of me that is rooting for Oakland to keep their uh, scoreless streak alive. Um, I would love to see this go to penalties, but that would also mean that um, Oakland also doesn't score. And I really, really back Carlson to at least get one goal. Um, He just seems to show up in the craziest of places. Um, So I'm rooting for a nil-nil to penalties just because I would love to see how ungodly that number can get. Um, but I would also just love to see a classic of San Antonio either having to come from behind a one nil deficit and win, um, or, you know, become a, just an absolute blowout because San Antonio, like I've said several times in this segment, the best team in the league. Um, I'm taking San Antonio here. Um, and real fast, we're going to burn it uh, because Wal- uh, Walking 90 is going to do um, a segment on this. So we're probably not going to go as in-depth as they will. Which, by the way, if you want a good listen, go listen to their last episode. Um, they That entire episode had me crying. I was laughing so hard. Um, all you need to know is that Chattanooga is still exists and oh boy, are they good for content. Um, <laughs> um, just real fast, uh, the kickers uh, go versus the beat me, uh, those sad boys. <laughs> yeah, I've locked Richmond to win this one. Yeah, I got kickers. Yeah, Richmond at home versus, uh, you know, Chattanooga, who did not look great last round. Um, yeah, I'm taking the kickers here. Um, I want to just say, uh, Yogi, if you're listening to this, I don't know what you're talking about with Richmond being quote unquote underdog. I that was weird. <laughs> um, then we have probably my favorite matchup across all leagues, and that is Tormenta versus Triumph. Tormenta, who has had the number of Greenville, um, including a five-five thriller which didn't – I look, you just need to watch that one back because that was ridiculous. And then Bolt – well, 
a bowl has kept Greenville in his back pocket all year long. Yeah, I mean, 10 goals from Tormenta this year. The one pause I have is that Greenville knows what to do when they get into the postseason. And I honestly, I'm going to back uh, Triumph to win. Same. Yeah, this was one that preseason or pre playoffs, I said Tormenta. I feel like I'm hedging Triumph a little bit more, but I I feel like I can't go off those predictions. Triumph are just, I mean, they're a great team, but for some reason, Tormenta just, they have it. They have it against Greenville. Also, it's a little bit weird that um, for uh, now, Greenville and Triumph have met in the semifinals of the playoffs in two different leagues in the same year. They also met in the semifinals uh, for W League. Um, I don't know what that means, but I feel like it means something. Um, and Tormenta also got the win there, so this pleases Bolt. Uh, Tormenta's going to the finals. Um, that's it. Um, this one's shorter than these last few episodes, so that's cool. Um, it also involved me talking a lot, so I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but that's it. Um, unless anybody has any other final USL thoughts. Um, Alan, final thoughts for the people? Mm, just, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan? Uh, I've been enjoying the Football Manager 23 uh, beta so far. I have my Valencia team unbeaten in top of the league uh, through eight games played. Um, so you are currently the Aston Villa replacement manager. So it's a bit funny that you have that kind of timing. So congratulations. <laughs> um, is it good? Is it good so far? I like it. A uh, few more things to figure out, but I, I'd get the game just for the updated database and a new match engine. Fair enough. Um, I feel like I've said this before. I moved over to the elementary school um, for my last bit of placement. Um, I also did finally submit that uh, 26 page paper. So that was awesome, but that might've been last week. I don't remember, um, but that's been submitted. So woo to that. I'm now at the elementary school in which we were doing a push in uh, class uh, for the special needs, which the special needs class is one of my favorite classes to teach. And little boy comes up to me, gives me a hug. I give him a hug back. He takes his hand, pats my stomach and goes fat. And I went to the gym that afternoon. Um, so um, if you ever feel like you're getting a little bit too big for your britches and your ego is inflating a little bit, go talk to a four-year-old because they will bring you right back down. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you for all the support lately. Last week we had a little bit of trouble uploading. As it turns out, the people that we use for uploading don't like it when you use exclamation marks in the title. Why? I don't know. Technology is weird, um, but hopefully this one will be up right away. So thank you for Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Check out the Discord. Um, what's the other things that YouTubers do? Like, subscribe, give five stars, or don't. I don't know. I, I'm not your boss. Um, but for the final time tonight, cue Alan's voice. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. 
This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.